Hey, uh, welcome Rock Bible Church. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Uh, we're going to get started and continue in our series in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. There's only three chapters left. I'm getting a little depressed. Um, but we're going to get started in a minute. First, we're going to invite the ushers to come forward with Bibles, pens, outlines, and such, prayer request cards. And we're going to dismiss middle school, high school ministry out to the fellowship hall. And uh, they're going to have their time with uh, Megan and Brent and the rest. And then us big kids, we're going to stay for a fun time with Scott. Uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this morning, uh, we're going to talk about wisdom. Some of you who have been uh, here for most of the series are realizing that pretty much every chapter Solomon has mentioned wisdom. Uh, but usually it's been a parallel track with some other topic, and most of the chapters have some type of theme, and wisdom goes along with it because in your pursuit of that thing, you need wisdom. And yeah, yeah. Uh, Chapter 10 is a little different in that chapter 10 is pretty much just wisdom. Uh, now there's another piece in that that we're going to come to in a minute, um, and it's going to be it's going to get a little rough. I'm going to take away choice from you, which I know that's offensive, and I'm okay with it. Um, a little tongue in cheek. We're gonna have a little fun with it, uh, but we're gonna eliminate choice as a concept a little bit. Unless Sol- Solomon's gonna do it. Don't blame me. We'll get to that in a little. In a little, and you'll you'll see what I mean. Uh, before we get started, let's pray, and then we'll uh, then we'll jump right in. Lord, thanks for this morning, and thanks for your word. Thanks for the chance to come and sing and worship. And I pray, Lord, for our time in your word that you would bless it. Honor what we do here, Lord. Help us to understand uh, what is the value of wisdom. How does it affect us? What's our role? And then, Lord, uh, speak to each of us in unique ways. Pray pray that this time this morning will be a blessing and a benefit, that it would build up and push us on to whatever is next for each one of us. Uh, So we thank you for this time. Pray it honors you and your son. Uh, Pray that you'd your spirit would guide it, and we pray it in your son Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Dollar sixty-three. Can't get over that. I don't know why. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Uh, Solomon is going to get into poetry again. And uh, poetry is a little bit rough when it comes to trying to figure out what it means. If dad says, don't touch the red hot stove, it's pretty simple to follow that, right? Very clear. It's a directive, and you know how to obey. When dad starts with, there once was a guy who had a stove, it's kind of a little bit harder to, to pull out meaning. And so that's what Solomon's doing. He's going to start with some, a little bit of goofy. He's going to do some compare contrast and some stuff. And we're going we're gonna to work at it. But what I need you to see is that it's really about wisdom. And we'll point it out as we go. But he's going to draw out some pieces of wisdom and lead you along a trail and get you to a destination about how do we, how do we make w- w- uh, wisdom weightier? Is that a word? Yes, I have deemed it a word as of this morning. Weightier. Uh, so this morning we're looking at our, our topic is the, the weight of wisdom, right? And so that's what we're looking at. We're going to get it actually from our very first verse, so you won't have to go wait very long to see it. Um, but it says, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1, here we go. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. Honey, I want you to get some new perfume. 
Oh, you're in luck. I have some. Oh, really? What is it? It's called Dead Fly. Uh, any guesses on like what this means? I mean, if you put a dead fly in your soup, are you eating the soup? No. So uh, this is a, like an extreme example. Uh, you pretty much don't want a dead fly in anything other than a fly trap. Uh, because when you take something like a dead fly, what does it do to the value of the thing you put in it? Ruins, destroys, diminishes. Um, this is kind of the point. Uh, what, what's the valuable thing there? It's the perfume. Right? So you take something of great value and, you, and then you have something of, well, not no value. You can use it for destroying things, right? Its only value is to disrupt, uh, compromise, ruin. And those are like opposite ends of the spectrum. There's no middle ground, and that's what we need to see Solomon's doing. He's going to do this with wisdom and another thing. Let's look at what it is. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. There's our outweighs, right? Outweighs wisdom. Uh, but I want to ask you, what is folly? Foolishness. Is it like goofy? Folks, you got to answer this because if it's a problem, I got to call Disney, <laughs> right? What well, is folly a problem, or is there a difference between uh, folly and goofy? Yes. What's folly is a mistake. Goofy is funny, entertaining, maybe. <laughs> folly compromises something of value, destroys, ruins, substitutes. Goofy's okay? All right. Don't need to call Disney. Goofy's okay. But when you put something at risk, that's when you're doing folly. How easy is that? How easy is it to get a fly in something? Way too easy. All right? We've developed all kinds of things. Chemicals, screens, swatters. Trained our kids how to chase them, turned it into a game, whatever. It's really easy to compromise something, to risk something, to lose something. And Solomon's going to draw this comparison between who we are. And I don't mean between one of you and another one of you, between the things that are in you as a person. I want you to pay attention to who are the characters in this passage. Because when we get to the end of the chapter, I'm going to ask you, who were the characters? Okay? So let's keep going. Uh, we got dead flies in the perfume, and that's what folly is or, or destruction compared to wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. I never liked this verse. Never, ever have liked this verse because I know something you do not know. I am left-handed. Great line from a great theological work, right? Princess Bride. All seriousness. It's great theological truths played out in goofy ways. Goofy, not folly. Uh, I always, I always kind of worried that that was about, you know, left-handers were somehow less than because most everybody's right-handed. Right, uh, lefties. Are we less than them? 
No, we're special because we're more rare, right? No. Can we figure this out? Lefties are lefties, righties are righties. We're all the same value. Amen? This is not about that. This is not about right being good and left being wrong. This is just about this one instance. If something were negative, folly would head that direction and tips a person that direction. If something's positive, wisdom turns you that direction. They're meant to be polar opposites, just like uh, flies and ointment, just like... um, Folly and wisdom, right? Uh, Even when the fool walks on the road, verse 3, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. You ever seen a fool walking in the street? Walking down the road? You ever heard him say, hi, my name's Scott. I'm a fool. No, they don't do that. That's not what this means. This means by the way they walk, you can tell they're a fool. Why? Because they're walking in the middle of the street. Cars could be coming. What are you doing? Well, there was shade here, and there wasn't over on the side. You're not on the sidewalk, which is actually named after what you're supposed to be doing there. Instead, you're walking in the street just because you wanted a little shade, or it's because it's a little bit shorter, or just because you want to exercise your rights. I'm walking here. It's kind of like I've always told my kids. You can walk in the street, and you can kind of force your will. You can make... The people in cars move out of the way, slow down, yield, and I'm sure they're supposed to most of the time. That's what's going to happen 99.9% of the time. But what happens if something goes wrong? Sun gets in their eye for a second, they don't see you. They're looking at their phone, they're playing with the stereo, their foot slaps off the brake for a second, and boom, who wins? That's what we say in my family all the time. The car always wins. Never put yourself in a place where you're at risk because something went wrong, a little different than you calculated, and now you're gone. Fool walks down the road, doesn't have to say he's a fool. Everybody looks at the way he's walking and goes, "Ah, fool, honey, you're not allowed to date him. You know what I mean? You've seen that in other ways, less goofy of an analogy, where people do things and you think to yourself, That's not only not smart, that's destructive, either for them or somebody else. Foolishness is going on. Why are we allowing this to continue? This is how people walk. By the way, what's the subtle message to you? Don't walk like a fool in such a way that it's obvious to other people that sense has left the building, right? Everyone knows that they're a fool. Uh, Verse four, if the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. No quitting. No walking away, no walking out. For calmness will lay great offense to what? What's the goal when you're with your boss, when you're with your uh, teacher, when you're with your coach, when you're with your co-worker that outranks you, whatever, when you're with your spouse, dare I say it, are you telling me they're an authority over me? Yes, I am. What about if you're with your kid? There's conflict. Do you give up? Do you walk away? Do we quit? No, never give up. Why? What's our goal? Winning? No. Goal is the last word. What's it? Rest. We're going to bring a place where you're both at rest. Stick with it. Get some thicker skin. Change your face. 
engage, little effort, maybe some time, maybe even throw some money at it. We don't throw money, Scott. We're good stewards of it. Yeah, you'd be a better steward if you threw some money at it because you're valuing the money so much. You're using stewardship as an excuse not to help a situation that you could. Because you could be bringing rest by staying in the environment, staying what? Calm. Well, gee, Scott, you don't sound calm right now while you're expressing it. This is a theatrical performance. Okay? Um, do people call you to get involved because you bring calm when you walk in? Do they? Have you read a text message, heard a voicemail, read an email, saw a post, um, sat in a meeting where what was projected, you thought to yourself, ooh, we just raised the stakes and the energy and the emotion in the room, and now it's going to be harder to solve. I see those daily, folks. It's tragic. It is totally unnecessary. It is folly. If you've got somebody in a position of authority and you got an opportunity to be there and solve it, then solve it. Instead, we're worried about who's winning and who's losing. And, 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 and it's like this organization I was in a while back where they, where they, have, they had a discipline committee. So we need somebody to head the discipline committee. I thought to myself, oh, the poor chap who gets that job. What a bum assignment everybody's going to be upset and unhappy. There's no way I'm signing up for that. But Scott, you'd be great at this. In fact, that's why we like having you in our organization. You'd be great at dealing with difficult people. Why don't you head the discipline committee? I said, no, not ever, never, no way. Nunca, in Spanish for never, right? But I would love to chair the resolution committee. What did I do in that meeting? Change the dynamic to what's our goal now. Not discipline, resolution. Right? Far as I know, to this day, it's still called the resolution committee in that, in that group, which I think is cool. Right? Um, but I resolved not to be with them anymore. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, there's an evil I have seen under the sun. As it were, an error proceeding from the ruler, as if the ruler sent this down as like, this is how things are supposed to be, right? Folly is set in, my, in many high places. Have you ever seen something that was beyond goofy? It was folly, and it was, uh, it was up, elevated. Maybe a, a, a ruler or a person in charge, and they're not projecting anything. They're not solving anything. And when you ask them, they're like, I don't know. We'll see. Let's just have fun. Is anything going to get done? You kind of ask yourself, how, how did we get to this place? I don't know if you've been there as often as I have. I feel like I've been there a lot of times where I, I looked at something that said, there's not a healthy direction. People are going to get hurt. Something's going to go wrong. We're going to squander. And the rich sit in a low place. You're seeing somebody who seemingly has done things right and they end up in a rough place. Something goes wrong, and the next thing you know, how'd that happen? Rich did folly, probably. And every once in a while, folly does wisdom and they, it gets elevated. 
That's how that happens. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Is that backwards? Yeah. We'll learn something about backwards coming up in a little bit. He who digs a pit will fall into it. I must confess, I have literally been working on digging a hole and fell into said hole. And no, I will not tell the story. Zzz. Story zzz. Right? Have you ever worked on something and what you were working on, something went wrong and you got hurt based on what you were working on? You ever cut yourself cooking? Or cut yourself cutting? Burned yourself cooking? Right? Nobody wants to raise their hand, but a lot of nodding heads. Right? Been working, ever been working with a power tool? And then the power tool worked on you? Yeah, that's not good. Uh, is it possible for there to always be a risk, no matter what you're doing? Or can we say it this way? There's always a risk, no matter what you're doing. There's a way for it to go wrong. That's scary. If folly's your deal. Why well, I, I don't purposely follow folly, Scott. Just like folly just shows up once in a while. No. There's the pursuit of wisdom, and I'm paying attention in every moment, or there's not. When does the dead fly spoil the perfume? The second it touches it, is something going on? Some of you microbiologists need to speak up because the moment those things touch us, right? Is there a five-second rule, really? No, not for microbiologists. The moment you drop something on the ground, oh, five-second rule, pick it up, put it in your mouth. No, I'm fine. It was under five seconds. No, you might have just caught something. Congratulations. Hope that works out for you. How about 10 seconds into the fly being in the perfume? Is it doing something? Yeah, two hours later, is it still doing something? Hey, that, that leftovers in that um, foam box that you brought home from the restaurant that's sitting in the back of your fridge, is it doing something right now? <laughs> you ever had one of those that was doing something for a really long time? Guys, this is folly. It's also wisdom. Every moment, every instant, something is happening. You're either doing wisdom or you're doing folly. You're either paying attention or you're not. You're part of building and next and growth and edification or you're part of demise, folly, destruction, neglect, ruin. Did I say compromise? Yeah. Uh, you know this is true in relationships? It's not just true in leftovers or flies. It's true in all kinds of ways, right? There's this evil that's under the sun, and it goes on and on. A serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. You've been working on something, and you thought you were just working on a wall, but it was actually someone's home, and they came out to play. We're in Mexico this year. Uh, we're working on the second half of a house that we started in the spring. And we started to open up the drywall on one of the walls because we're going to continue the wall. We needed a fresh piece. And we, we opened the wall, literally probably close to a thousand pincher bugs. 
You know, they're long and they got a little pincher at the end. Like a thought streaming, like almost splurting like a vein when you cut a blood vein. It's like they're coming out, falling off the ceiling, going up and down both sides of the wall, on the floor, the whole thing. It became a game, all the youth. They got their boots on and they're, you know, trying to kill as many as they can. We got brooms and spray and buckets and dustpans. I mean, it was gross. I thought I was watching a horror flick, right? Because we came into the house. It happens. Um, that happened more than once? You're going to run into, all of a sudden, there's like a monitor lizard sleeping in the attic of your little hut in the middle of Africa? That was last month. You realize you just slept under a monitor lizard that's body is like this big? His tail goes like forever? His little arms are hanging down? Forgot about that one first service. That's your second service extra. <laughs> Wasn't in my cabin. No, no, much worse. It was in my wife's cabin. <laughs> Come here, honey. <laughs> so look at this, right? That was that. <clears throat> what did you do to me? No. Um, she was much nicer than that. That was much, very theatrical, okay, on my part. Uh, he who carries a stone or quarries a stone is hurt by them. If you carry a stone, you're at risk of dropping it on your... Oh, how do you know that? Uh, he who splits logs is endangered by them. Brother's a tree trimmer. Been out to his job sites a few times helping. You know, a big limb is hanging off itself. And you start cutting that with a chainsaw. You know what happens when you break through that last piece? All the weight and the tension, whether just gravity or left to right or another limb is holding it or something... And as soon as that thing cuts off, is it possible ever that one of those limbs would just come and just smack you right in the face? Is that possible to happen more than once? Okay, has, have any of you done that with your brother enough times so you felt like you figured it out and you're good at it? And so you went and bought some equipment and you brought it over to like maybe your church that you work at and then you decided to cut some stuff at the church and you were cutting and going along and then got to one that was right above your head and cut it. Do you know what happens then? Comes straight down, lands on your head. That was a fun day. And then you realize you shouldn't probably be out in the yard cutting stuff by yourself because Jan won't hear you from her office outside where you are. Yeah, forgot about that one until uh, second service. Two second service extras for you both. All right, are we still going to get out on time? Uh, splitting a log, right? Then iron, is if it's blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. You ever tried to cut something with a spoon? I know you have. Some of you are lazy like me. There is a knife, but no, you're using the edge of the fork for 15 seconds instead of just picking up the knife. Right? Watch this. Wisdom helps one to succeed. If you're going through life without wisdom and you're not thinking about and figuring out what is God's priority and why does he want you to do that, how has he designed the system, then you're going through life cutting stuff with a spoon rather than using a sharp edge, when God has provided the right tools for you to do what you need to do where you are. If a serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. <laughs> the implication here is that life is like a poisonous snake for you. 
and you need to charm it. And if you neglect it and get busy with something else or your own perspective, priority, life's going to bite you. And now what? You got more than a dead fly infecting you, right? This is a problem. Uh, What's he saying? Pay attention. Stay on task. Be aware. Be alert. Know your environment. Who's around you? Who's your teammate? How can they help you? The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. There's great irony there. What comes out of the fool's mouth is actually consume. He is consuming himself. Self-consummation. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. From the beginning to the end, it's all bad. A fool multiplies words, even though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. You have no idea what's going on, and you don't know where it's going either, and yet you're still talking, projecting as if you know what's going to happen. Toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. This is great in Hebrew because what it's implied. Remember earlier it said a fool walks in the road and you can tell he's a fool. He's not actually saying it, but by the way he's walking, you know he's a fool. This goes one step further. You've heard the phrase, you couldn't hit the broad side of a Right? Why? Huge target and you can't even hit a huge target. You know what's bigger than the broad side of a barn? A whole city. You're walking and can't and try to figure out where you're going, and you can't even find the city. I love this story. And, and the names of the guilty will be kept private to protect their identity. But I love some people I know recently who are going to go meet some friends on a Friday night and hang out for the weekend. And the one friend sent them a pin of their address, and they went to go set their phone to give directions to that pin and they started driving on a Friday night. And after about five something plus hours of driving somewhere, they thought they were about 10 minutes away and they called said friend. Hey, we're almost there. Do you want us to pick something up or anything? They said, oh, really? You're almost here? Where are you? He said, well, we're just entering South Lake Tahoe. You're Where? That's the opposite direction. How did you end up there? <laughs> they, were, they were supposed to be at a different lake. They had driven five and, five and a half hours almost to South Lake Tahoe. They had to drive another three and a half or four hours to get to where they were supposed to actually be. I'm thinking, how'd you know the second pin was right? <laughs> right? It's like, you're trying to find a city. You can't even find a city when you're foolishness. When you're, when you're chasing follow, when you're doing your own thing. Woe to you, O land, where your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. What's going on there? Your king is childish, and when he wakes up in the morning, what's he wake up for? Food? Party? Right? Happy are you, O land, when your king is a son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. I heard the phrase, there's two types of people, those that eat to live and those that live to eat. I'm like, ooh, ooh, live to eat, definitely in that camp. Uh, And then I realized when I'm not trying to entertain people, 
not really here to eat. I'm here to do a lot of other things. Food is just a byproduct. It's a little other activity. It's a secondary issue. And yet there's so many ways that that's true in other things of our life. That I'm here to do this rather than that. Mm, careful. Through sloth, the roof sinks. When you don't maintain the roof, what eventually happens to the roof? Caves in on who? Mm, there you go. And uh, through indolence or neglect, the house leaks. We don't patch. Bread is made for laughter. Wine gladdens life. And money answers everything. That's a verse? Do you guys read your Bible sometimes and go, what? That is not... Are you... Different translation. Look it up. Oh, no. It says it again. Someone else. You could go through five, six, seven translations. It says money answers everything. Is that true? Yes and no. If you're a fool, think money answers everything. If you're righteous and pursuing the Lord and trying to do the best you can, can money usually help you solve your problem? It can. It's a commodity. It's a tool. But it is not the hub. It's never the answer. And here's where we get into the difference between, well, is it one or the other? Well, it's both. Depending on your perspective is how you get your answer. See, there's a couple choices, right? Oh, yeah, Scott, you said something about choice. Are you still going to take away choice? No, I'm not. Solomon is. Even in your thoughts, do you cur uh, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, and some winged creature tell the matter. Ooh. Hey, are we at the end? Yeah, see that little thing at the right says Ecclesiastes ten one through twenty. That's what we do. It's kind of a clue or a hint that we, as the pastor and the AV staff, have got the end of our passage because we're giving you the reference. Now, I want to ask you: Who are the characters in this story? Yeah, these are all analogies. Yeah, we're paying attention. You're you're more on the ball than anybody else in the room, right? They're all impersonating first service. Okay. There's God and us. There's no third party. There's just you and God. Who's wisdom about? It's about God and you, period. You know what I've just done? I've just eliminated almost all your excuses. Well, you know, Fred, blah, 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 you know, Wanda, but no, 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 they're not in the equation. No man or woman gets to choose your action. No man or woman is responsible for your choices. When it comes to wisdom, who's on the ticket? Just you. Just myself. Just me. He spent about 19 verses trying to help you understand. It's to your benefit to exercise wisdom. And he says, oh, by the way, little secondary gift. Verse 20. If you don't catch all the good stuff that you can get from wisdom in the first 19 verses, there's also a second piece to that. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble. 
Maybe that'll motivate you. The first 19 verses didn't get you. The positive side. There is also a little negative side. And here comes one of my little biases for reading the Bible and Christianity and the whole thing. We love to look at little negative parts and we miss the 19 times more of positive that's in there for us. Amen? Right? Chris, you get with me on that one? There's 19 times more positive stuff than negative, isn't there? There you go. I think you wrote a book about it. Um, let's look at a couple things. Uh, and may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Okay, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. That's what the Bible says. Uh, if we're going to make wisdom weightier, is weightier a word, Scott? Yes, we've just deemed it so. We actually did it first service. But we need to make wisdom weightier. How do we do that? One, we've got to acknowledge some things. Uh, backward results are possible. Not only are backward results possible, many times they're probable. Sometimes they're inevitable. But they are common, they're regular. Why? Because folly exists. When you go one direction, rather than chasing wisdom, you do what you want, what's convenient, what's cheaper, what's easier, what? Well, Chris did it. you can find yourself experiencing backwards. And in fact, Solomon's gone to great length to tell you that sometimes you do everything right and it can still go backwards. Because correct words is not the goal. What's the goal? The Lord? Rest? Relationship? Right? We pursue right Winning, independence, self-sufficient. We are good, card-carrying Western cultureers, And it's getting us in a lot of trouble. It's a wrong path. There's a way that seems right to a man. It's an end, leads to destruction, folly. Solomon says, look, when it comes to wisdom, there's just you. You've got some decisions to make. And they will determine how often you experience backwards. Anybody enjoy backwards? I hate backwards. Have you en ever ended up backwards when you were supposed to be forwards? No fun. I did that in a water sport on accident. It did not go well. You hit the, you hit the water at at ski boat speed, backwards, your legs catch, and then your head smacked down in the, I mean, so fast. I, I don't think time passed. It's like my feet touched, the, and then bam, it's my head, and where am I? I'm floating. Wait, I can't breathe. You know, I mean, it's, it's not good, right? But this is regular, and uh, this is the stuff about, you know, the, the slave on the horse, but the prince on, walking on the street, and all that kind of stuff, the, the fly in the soup, and all that kind of thing. And, and how do we avoid that? How do we avoid backwards? How do we bring more weight to wisdom? How do we weigh it properly? Because I love this idea of thinking of wisdom as like a commodity that you could actually carry, and how heavy would it be? And one of the things you'd need to remember is that that wisdom outweighs choice. 
wisdom outweighs choice. In fact, probably the better way to change that is for you to cross out outweighs and write in eliminates. What? You're taking away my choice? Pepsi told me I am the choice of the next generation. We're in a choice. We like shopping, right? I want to go see what my options are. No, you don't. When you go to the store to buy something, you want the one thing, right? You go to the hardware and you need a one and a quarter inch screw. Why? Because the knob, if you get a, a one and a half inch screw, you put the knob in and the knob's too loose on your dresser and it rattles around and it's annoying. If you get a one inch screw, it's not long enough to grab the knob and you don't have a knob. You need a one and one quarter inch screw. Why do you have to go to three hardware stores to find the, you got a whole aisle of screws, but you don't have the one I want. I don't want choice. I want the one right. That's wisdom, folks. Wisdom says, yes, you have tons of options, but there's only one right answer, one choice. What has wisdom done to choice? eliminated it can't marry multiple people no you marry one well i want choice <laughs> no no you don't <laughs> right there's this weird thing that we do as humans with sin where we take good and we twist it we expand it oh i got choices well i should protect my ability to choose and i shouldn't let anybody influence me and no, actually, you should have choice so you can pick the right one and eliminate your choices. Because you've weighed them, evaluated them, and know, yeah, bam, that's the one. What if you started looking at wisdom as your ability to help you make the right choice? Because now, now, when you're trying to decide, it's like, not does it make sense to me, or why did God say that? No, God said it. That must be the choice. I'll understand it later if I need to. But right now, I'm going to obey. Two weeks ago, by the way. That was the chapter two weeks ago. Amen? All right. Uh, wisdom outweighs choice. We're going to say eliminates choice. I didn't give them eliminates first service either. That's your third, second service, actually. This sermon's so much better, second service. I'm telling you that. We don't even, we don't, hi. You guys are watching right now because we don't even publicize the first service anymore. It's practice, kind of like preseason NFL. Anyways, uh, wisdom's greatest choice or greatest conflict is what? If choice, if choice is eliminated or outweighed, where does choice happen? Choice happens here. Choice happens. This is where decisions are made, right? You like to say, well, no, actually, my spouse decides whatever they say. That's just that's what I do. No, still, they say a suggestion. You still have to choose between here and here. So where's the conflict, really? It's within you. The wisdom's greatest conflict is self. I know you would never choose between wisdom and folly because you would never call it folly. But when you've got choices and options and you're trying to weigh them, 
know that the underlying variable on the ones that will get you in trouble is you. You're the underlying variable. You're the foundation of the, well, it'll just be easier. If I do it that way, then I can call Fred and he can tell me how to do it because that's how he did it. Yeah, how's Fred doing? We got to get away from me. And we got to get on to best. What's good? See, we're never meant to be alone. We were never meant to be independent. We were never meant to be self-sufficient. We were never meant to be all-knowing. In fact, we are told at the very beginning of the book, the very beginning of the story, it is not good for man to be alone. You've been made with deficiencies and faults and holes, um, insufficiencies and, and the whole thing, so that you have need of other people. You are a terrible twos. Right? They get to two, and all of a sudden we call them terrible. They're not terrible. They just act terrible, right? Uh, they never stop, by the way. Right? When they become terrible twos, you know this and recognize it because of what? Tantrums. Scenes. In aisle five over at the grocery store, right? On the floor, yelling loud, legs and limbs going, kicking cereal boxes across the... Why do they do that? Which, by the way, um, you still do tantrums. You know this. You do them differently, we still do them. Why? Because you didn't get what you want. That's not really why. Because you want to get what you want. Well, that's the ultimate goal. But what's the middle step? You throw a tantrum, you make noise, you put on a scene in order to draw attention of who? Others. You're trying to get others involved. Isn't it weird that God has designed us in such a way that when we come apart, our natural choice of action is to draw other people in because we are insufficient on our own? Isn't that weird? And glorious, awesome design for how it's supposed to work. You have to get other people involved. I think that's amazing. Because when you try to do self, it fails how often? Always. Right? Always. Uh, which begs the question, right? Uh, what weight wins? What weight wins? Uh, what, wait, what? What do you mean? When wisdom gets outweighed, verse 1, what are the follies you're prone to? What are the pursuits? I, I know you never call them follies. What are the priorities? What are the values? Sometimes you call them core values. What are the non-negotiables <gasps> that need to be negotiated? What are the I will nevers? I will always, what fits in those categories. You need to be super careful with those things. Because God may take those things and say, eh, we're going to do backwards for a little while with you. Because I believe God does backwards on purpose. Okay? I get too many examples in the Bible and in my own life. All right? 
at 100% consistent so far. I'm looking for the outlier and I can't find it. He will do whatever it takes to get our attention and say, uh, no, wisdom weighs the most. Of all your decisions, wisdom weighs the most because I weigh more than it and I designed that it should reign in your behavioral experiment. Amen? Know this, there are always extraneous third variables going on. Affecting what goes on in life. You can't know everything that's going on in a scenario. You can't see it all. You can't hear it all. You can't read it all. You can't experience it all. Every scenario you walk into, you are walking into with a deficit. Walk in calm. Walk in with wisdom. Walk in carefully. Walk in valuing the people around you. And know that folly is easy. It's waiting to be weightier. I'm sorry, I'm having fun with all this. Right? But know that you can win. When you make right and correct and godly and holy as most important. And you let it drive next. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Okay, that's one you're going to have to think about for a while. Let's pray, and then you can get to start thinking. Lord, thanks for this morning. Uh, thanks for not leaving us to our own devices, our own thinking, to our emotions. Thanks that you continue to engage us. Thanks that even when backwards happens, you're still in control. There's still an opportunity for resolution. And thanks, Lord, that everything that can be seen, known, read, experienced, you have the keys to. It's already backloaded within you. I thank you, Lord, that all four of these points are true about the cross. Backwards could have happened. You said no. You had choices, could have called legions of angels. You said no. There is no choice. There is one thing that I will do. It will be more costly. It will be more painful. And I will set an example of perfect for those who are imperfect. And you battled self. You said, Lord, if this cup should pass... But not my will, but your will be done. Lord, thank you for your son, the gospel, the cross, for all of truth that it points us to. Thanks for showing us what carries the most weight. If you're here this morning, you're battling with something that's carrying weight and needs to be lighter. And you know that through your own wisdom that God's pushing on you. Pray about that right now. God, what do you want me to do with that? Where do you want me to take it? And then, and then tell him this. Do what you will with me. Do what you will with me. Do what you will with us, Lord, in all of these. 
Thank you for this offering, Lord, what we're about to receive. For those who are guests or visitors, just let it pass by. This is for people who call this place home and Jesus, Lord. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.